filled one. Your dad wants a filled one. I want a There's, not filled one. <laughs> there are, I think there are some cream filled ones and some jelly filled ones. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is he wants the Bavarian cream. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> which one's <laughs> which. Here. It was like, uh... <laughs> I think Just stick your is... finger in and tell me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> don't actually. Don't do that. <laughs> I can pass it down. <laughs> oh, be careful what you say. It'll actually happen. <laughs> you You're welcome. Hope the vanilla frosting's okay. I got one chocolate, <laughs> one vanilla. I want one without feeling, if you can find it. <laughs> You should. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Sprinkles. Ooh. There's a church. Uh, there's a church that I know of. That they have a, a local bakery right down the road from the church, so they always have donuts. And the big movers there are the bacon maple long johns. <laughs> they put like a, a maple glaze uh, frosting on it and then sprinkle it with little baking bits. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Yeah, don't know. I don't Everything's better with bacon. <laughs> They're big movers. Like, they make so many different flavors. They're big movers. Do they fry them in bacon grease, too? I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's the deal. Uh, there's not a clock here, and my phone's doing the live stream. So someone's going to have to be the timekeeper and just let me know when we're getting close to 11. Like... 10.50? Yeah, sure, like 10.2. That's good. Because <laughs> it'll probably take me about 15 minutes to wound down. <laughs> okay, I'll shoot you. <laughs> no, no, 10.50 will be just fine. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, you sent your Son to be the light of the world, who was illuminated on the Emmaus Road and made known to his disciples in the breaking of the bread. As we continue to follow him as his disciples and his catechumens, grant that our eyes may be opened in the same breaking of the bread to see this, your beloved Son, in the flesh for us, to hear him and to receive from him life forevermore. All of this we ask in your most precious name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Good. Okay. Oh, we got a lot to do today. A lot to do when it's the last class, and I'm really sad because I love the catechumen, and I'm always sad when it's done. I wish it could just go forever. You know, I could arrange that. You know, maybe we don't have to confirm you guys. Maybe we, maybe we just keep on going. No, I'm just kidding. You'll keep going because you'll come to adult Bible class. Because remember, confirmation is not graduation. Not really. It's graduating from preschool to kindergarten, and then even the adults, you live the rest of your life in kindergarten, learning all of your shapes and colors in the church. Okay? So, questions about last time? Anything? About the Eucharist? What it is? Basically, it's all about the body and the blood. Today, we're going to talk about the meat and potatoes of it. Did you have a question? Oh, okay. I just saw nodding. Okay, anything? Anything at all? Any questions about anything? This is the last class, so now is your time. 
everybody, everybody's lips get really tight when I ask if there's questions. <laughs> You're allowed to ask them, you know. Um, I do have a question. Okay, good, shoot. <laughs> are we going to have a class the day that we get confirmed? No, Keith, this is the last class. You just, oh, oh <laughs> But I'm glad to see that the class listens. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> okay, so quick review. Last time was all about the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the physical encounter with the Word because remember the Word is not just things on the page, it's the person, the person of Jesus Christ. You midweek students, you remember this. The Word is the name of the, uh, the, name of the Son through all eternity. It is also the revealed will of God, which is words on the page, but, it, but the Word is the person, second person of the Trinity. The Son is the Word. Okay, that's important. So the Eucharist is the physical encounter with the Word. When the sermon is preached, there's the Word. When the texts are read, there's the Word. Hey, we say this is the Word of the Lord. We don't say these are the words of the Lord. They are the words of the Lord. We say this is the Word of the Lord, meaning, hey, this is Jesus. And you all say, thanks be to God, which means... Yes, 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 please, we want more. That's what it is. Um, so, the place, though, where you really encounter him, you hear all about him, you encounter him spiritually, but where do you encounter him physically? Where is he flesh and blood? Well, he's right there on that altar. That's why coming to church is so important, because when you come to church, that's the place where Jesus is for you. Sure, Jesus is everywhere, but remember that quote we talked about. Sure, God is everywhere, but is there not a special place where he is physically for you? Certainly. It's like water. Water is everywhere, but you don't walk around like a guppy. You go to the drinking fountain to get it. Uh, or you go to the sink to get it. <laughs> but you have to go someplace where the water is there for you. It's not enough to say that it's everywhere, like, oh, it's in the air. Okay? So, that's where the Eucharist. If you want to get to know Jesus, where do you go? You go to the Eucharist. That's where he is. That's the best place to get to know Jesus, because he's right there. So the Eucharist then becomes the center of your life. It's the center of Christianity, of life and living, the center of the way, and the source of it all, but it's also then the center of the liturgy. So everything in the liturgy drives you to that Eucharist. The Kyrie, Lord have mercy. Where is he going to have mercy on you? He's going to have mercy when he comes to you with his body and the blood. The Gloria, it's the words of the angels that are sung when Christ takes on flesh and is born, and you sing it again because Christ has taken on flesh eternally, and you participate in the eternal mystery of Bethlehem. Every time you come to church, it's the road to Emmaus. Every time you come to church, it's Bethlehem. Every time you come to church, it's Good Friday. Every time you come to church, it's Easter Sunday. See this? The Christ who takes on flesh, who comes and gives himself to you. Every single time. That's what it's about. Um, the Eucharist is the true flesh and blood. It's not a symbol. Never, 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 not ever, not once is it ever a symbol. It doesn't represent anything. It is. When I say this is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Oh, yeah, okay. Ooh, good thing we practiced that. <laughs> now, the body of Christ. Amen. Given for you. Okay? When I say the body of Christ, I don't mean, oh yeah, we say the body, but it's kind of just pretend. We all know it's pretend. No, it is. It really is. It's flesh and blood. Early Christians, remember, they were called cannibals because they ate and drank the flesh and blood of Jesus. That's what it is. If I ever drop any of it, I don't just, well, whatever. We'll sweep it up later. You know, or if you, heaven forbid, that you drop the blood of Christ into the carpet, and then what do you do? Oh, boy, that's, that's a tough one. We just hope we never have to do that. <laughs> there was one time I was, so, oh, boy, this is such a, this was a horrible moment. 
I was at a church and I was assisting. They had adopted me. I was a seminarian, so they were like we adopted seminarian Kenny and his family. So they helped. Um, they helped support me while I was at the seminary, and so I would come to visit them and I would preach. And then because I was there to help preach, I would also help assist with the distribution of the sacrament. So I was in charge of the chalice because the pastor is typically the one who does the bread because he knows who can commune and who can't, and you just follow him. So I had just filled up the chalice, and it was all the way full, and the first person in the line was the pastor's oldest daughter. And I came in with the chalice, and you know how are you supposed to do it? If you're, if you're taken from the chalice, you just kind of grab the rim and you slowly... Especially, by the way, especially if you wear a hat to church on Easter. I don't know if any of you ladies do. Do you? Have you ever worn a hat? Oh, okay. No. Um, but it, some, I can, some people do and I can never remember. But if you wear a hat or just the fact that you're not kneeling down because we don't have a communion rail. So the fact that you're standing and sometimes when you stand, the way I have to have the chalice means that it's at eye level, so I can't see what's happening inside. So I don't know what's going on, so you kind of have to gently help tip it. It's okay to touch the chalice. Some people think they're not supposed to do that. I mean, don't don't take it from me, but, you know, grab the, the bottom rim and you can help tip it. But anyway, so she grabbed the bottom rim and she went, Hoosh! And she just pulled, emptied a whole chalice all over herself. And she was wearing a white dress, and it was just... And I just kind of stood there. <laughs> and his pastor came and he, we just we kind of you know, cleaned it up very reverently. And on the way out of church, he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm usually the one that's the last one communing. And the chalice is almost empty. So I have to tip it to get any. And I just didn't think. I didn't see how full it was. And it was just, oh, it's a moment where it breaks your heart. Now, poor, you know, poor seminarian. I don't know anything. What do I do? Ah, oh, boy, but the pastor was real nice about it. Real nice. Um, yeah, so uh, it's the real body and blood of Jesus. So what do you say? If whatever was hanging on the cross, that's what's put on your tongue. Whatever was pierced by a nail or a spear or a thorn or was hit with a whip or struck with the palm of a hand or a reed, that's the, thing, the same thing that's in your mouth. That's how firmly uh, we believe that it is really Jesus' body and blood. Whatever had a nail in it, that's, what's go well, that's what goes in your mouth. Whatever came out of the body when the spear hit it, that's what goes into your mouth. That's real blood. It's real body. It's real blood. No pretend. Now your eyes and your nose and your mouth, they go, well, this is still bread and this is still wine. Tastes a little bit like cardboard. Uh, and it melts on your mouth, kind of like manna. Um, but uh, how can it be that then, even though your senses say, well, this is just bread and wine, how can it be that it's the body and the blood? The Word. Sure, the Word does it. Christ does it. It's His work. But the, the greater reality of it, how does Christ do it? <laughs> See, this is the... This he just is, does it. He just does it. Just don't worry about it, okay? Christ does it. It's a mystery. Remember, the old, the old name for sacrament wasn't sacrament. Sacrament just means uh, holy things, basically. And then we just have a special definition of what kind of a holy thing it is, and that's a sacrament. But um, the old word for it was, do you remember? <coughs> Mysteries. The mysteries. And St. Paul even calls pastors what? Stewards of the mysteries. We'll talk more about this today, but that's why I won't commune your Baptist grandma, because I am a steward of the mysteries. And think about, for a second, all of the parables about stewards in the New Testament. How many of the stewards are really good stewards? <laughs> not, not many of them. 
<laughs> that's that's the point. Um, all those parables about the good stewards and the people who uh, waste the master's money or don't do with the master's money what they're supposed to be doing—that's kind of uh, an indictment about against pastors, because we are the stewards of the mysteries of God. It's my job to take care of you while the master's away, and that means that the master has given me all of the things that are good for you, but has given me specific instructions about how I'm supposed to use them. And I am a steward of them. I'll give them to some, but not to others, because the Master gave me a job to do. Okay? So, the Eucharist. Hey, listen, now you're dead. But now you're raised. You were Necros. You were that raccoon. Hey, poke it with a stick. He's puffy. <laughs> right? You're that raccoon. I love that raccoon. It's just one of the best things I've ever seen. Okay? <laughs> it just... You know, sometimes... Sometimes pictures from the internet preach a better sermon than I do. <laughs> it's so simple, okay? So that's you. That's right. You're dead, then you're made alive. You're made in baptism. And, and baptism brings you into this community. And you know that sin is death for you, so you're supposed to stay away from sin. But here's the deal, right? Do you still have flesh and blood? Yes. I mean, unless I'm in some kind of a dream... You still have flesh and blood, and what is the condition of your flesh? That it's not good. It's the condition. Think about your vocabulary for midweek. Your condition. Do you have a vocabulary term that is about the condition of the flesh? Remember what's a condition? It's like your disease. Can you remember what that term is? You guys got it right on your term quiz. Was that from last week? I don't remember if it was from last week. It was within the last couple weeks, though. You had it right. Original sin, right? Original sin is still there. That You have this desire. It's like a disease. It's like a cancer that you live with your entire life. Just kind of slowly eats you. Why do you get old? Why do you, why do you, have, to wear, why do you have to wear glasses? When your eyes stop working. Why do you have to go get a new hip or a new shoulder? Oh, your eyes. Body just doesn't work like it does. Why does your hair go gray? Why does your beard go gray? <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I guess that was a bad question. <laughs> you kids. Um, yeah, my mom said every gray hair that she had was because of me, so. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, all this stuff, why is your back? Why, why can't you do the things when you're older that you could when you were younger? You know, everything starts slowly going downhill. I had a professor once who said, oh boy, once you hit 25, it's just all downhill from there. You just start dying. It's just a slow death the rest of your life. And I thought, boy, what a, what a horrible thing to say. But if you really think about it, you know, theologically, it's kind of true. That sin just kind of eats away at you. And it's, it's a disease. You know, you've got, this, you've got this illness. And what illness do you go without treatment for? Well, none of them. So um, you've got to have your medicine. So let's look at this for a second. In your hymnal, page 330. And this is something I've looked at with you, I think, before. 330. That's the Christian questions with their answers. Hey, if you want a really good way to prepare for... prepare to receive the sacrament on a Sunday morning, this is a really good way to do it. Think about the Ten Commandments and then look at, look at these uh, Christian questions. That's kind of what they were designed for. So 19 and 20, what should admonish and encourage a Christian to receive the sacrament frequently? First, both the command and the promise of Christ the Lord. Hey, look at that. It's a gift. Christ said, hey, listen, come and, come and take this body. Come and eat this 
uh, drink this blood. This stuff's really good for you and you need it. And here's my promise that's going to go with it. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. John 6, that's what he said. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. Uh, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Hey, remember we just sang this. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, uh, but you will have the bread of eternal life. You see that? That bread kept him alive for a short time. This bread will keep you alive forever. And second, his own pressing need. Your own pressing need. Because of which the command, encouragement, and promise are given. Why does the Lord give you the sacrament? Why does he give you a promise that, it's, uh, that is attached to it? Because you need it. And here's, this is one of my favorite ones. But what should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? Oh, what should I do? I don't really think I need it. Well, to such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, he should touch his body to, to see if he still has flesh and blood. Do you still have meat on your bones? Is there still a spark in your eyes? Do you have a pulse? Hey, then listen. Uh, you need it. <laughs> then you should believe what the scriptures say of it, which is that your flesh is fallen. It's sinful. Second, he should look around to see whether he is still in the world. Hey, are you guys still in the world? Last time I checked, you were. Well, what does that mean? Well, and remember in the world that there will be no lack of sin and trouble, as the scriptures say. Oh yeah, there's a lot of trouble. Life will get you down. You're going to have really bad weeks. You're going to have really bad days. You're just going to be beat down. And then guess what? You can always come here with us. The promise where Christ says, Hey, listen, I'll give you some strength. I'll put a little bit of me in you. You're going to be great. I love you. Maybe everybody else hates you, but Jesus always loves you. And Jesus will never give you a bad supper. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him. Oopsies! With this lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without. You will never have peace as long as the devil is around. Luther says, uh, if only the Christian could see the number of fiery darts that the devil hurls at him daily. If he could see them, he would run to the sacrament and receive it as often as he possibly could. Why? Because it protects you. Because... Um, like uh, St. John Chrysostom, an early father of the church, he says, when you come back from the altar of the Lord, having received the Holy Eucharist, you uh, become as flaming lions that are terrible to the devil. You take communion, and then when you turn around, you, when you say, Amen, really loudly and boldly, like you know you're supposed to, and then you walk back uh, to your pew, uh, the devil is running away from you, because you are now a flaming lion. You are a lion that is more powerful than the one who prowls in darkness because you have the lion of Judah in you. It's glorious. So go there because that's where, uh, that's where the uh, assaults of the devil are nullified. And we'll talk all about that later. But this idea that, hey, listen, are you still alive? Do you have a pulse? Do you have, a flesh? Do you have flesh and blood? You know, um, baptism saves you. Baptism brings you into the church points you to places where you're going to get life. It uh, washes your sins. You forgive all of the sins for, of original sin and all the sins this child has committed since birth. And then you live in this baptismal grace so the Lord hears you, you receive forgiveness. But the places where you go to receive that forgiveness, hey, listen, it's like, you know, you go to, not that I'm speaking from experience, but you go to the club, you hit the club scene, and you walk up and they say, hey, you don't get to come in, and you say, no, I do. And you flash your creds. That's what the kids call it, right? The creds? I, I've 
Never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess I'm getting old. The lingo's all changed, right? You, you, you flash your credentials and they let you in. Well, hey, you come to the church, you flash your creds, and uh, you get to come in. You say, hey, there's some good stuff in here, but we're not going to let just anybody in. Oh, don't worry. I got my creds. I got the name of the Lord. And say, oh, okay. You're with Him. Well, come on in. Boy, we got something for you. Okay? So, um, the this, is, this is how I want you to think of the church, okay? Uh, remember, what is given at the font is nourished at the altar. You can't separate baptism and the Eucharist. They go together. What is given at the font is nourished at the altar. And we'll talk about that in, in greater depth when we talk about closed communion. Oh boy, everybody's favorite. Hey, um, <coughs> so what's given at the font is nourished at the altar. The image I want you to think of is this. Baptism is like, so the church is like a hospital, right? It's not a, it's not a country club where saints all get together and party and look down at everybody else and go, oh boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. Look at him not going to church on Sunday. Whoa, what a sinner. You know, don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the publican who beats his breast and says, Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I'm not even worthy to look up to heaven. Mea culpa, mea culpa, uh, mea maxima culpa. In the, in the service of Compline, that's the Latin. I've sinned by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Beating his breast like the publican. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. That's how you should be. Because this isn't a country club where we all get together to hang out and have a good time and talk about how good we are. It's a place where we get together because we're all sick. It's like nobody goes to the <coughs> hospital because they want to have a big family. Hey, you want to have your family reunion at the hospital? <laughs> it's a great venue. Great accommodations. Uh, if, you, if you want to make sure you spend many a sleepless night, that's the place to be. <laughs> okay? I'm not ragging on hospitals either, by the way. Um, but it's this idea that the church really is a hospital. You know, people say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I could never go to a place that's full of hypocrites. That's exactly the same thing as going, <coughs> well, I could never go to the hospital because that's a place for sick people. <coughs> yeah, Heath, see, you get it. That's the problem. Well, sure, there's hypocrites in the church. Well, no, duh, there's, there's sick people in the hospital. That's the whole point. Everybody in the church is a hypocrite because everybody's sinning, but everybody's trying to be better, and that's the point. You come here and get your medicine. You get a little stronger every time you're here. Okay? So the church is a hospital, so going to baptism is like you. There's, you're checking in at the front desk. You get your snazzy arm bracelet. What a fashion statement that is, especially if you get any of their color-coded stickers on it, like <laughs> fall risk or allergy. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Okay? So you're, now you're in. Now we, put, now we put the wristband on you. Now you got your creds. You can get in. Okay? That's not how they talk in Fortnite. Do you feel? <laughs> oh, I'm still relevant because I know about Fortnite. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's where, that's where we give you the... There's your bracelet. Hey, you're in the hospital now. But what do you do now that you're in the hospital? Well, I guess I'll hang out. Oh, no, no. The whole reason you're here is because you want to see a doctor and you want some medicine. And boy, have I got a doctor for you. You won't believe the things that he does. And you come in here and he's got some medicine. He's got some prescription medicine already just for you. But he's got to make sure you've got the in before he can give it to you. Or his steward has to make sure you've got the in before he can give it to you. Okay? But this is what it is. It's a hospital. So here's what Luther says. This is from the large catechism. Those who feel their weakness, who are anxious to be rid of it and desire help, should regard and use the sacrament 
as a precious antidote against the poison in their systems. The sin that is in your flesh is a poison. It is a pathogen. It is a, it is a horrid thing that is slowly killing your body. And everything in the world reminds you about the fact that this is still a sinful creation. The fact that there is still pain and suffering and sorrow and death. It's all a direct result. Um, so that's all around you. And you know you have this pathogen in your body. This is, so, you know, go take your medicine. Would you take some Thermoflu or NyQuil if you had the flu? Oh, sure you would. Would you take an ibuprofen or an Advil if you had a headache? Oh, sure you would. Would you put a Band-Aid on your cut if it was bleeding? Sure you would. So come to the hospital. Yeah, just rub some mud on it, right? Yeah. Just rub some mud on it. That'll be fine. We were, uh, my brother used to play soccer, and there was this one little kid. He got stung by a bee in some spring day, and a whole group of dads just walked out and went, ah, get over here. Let's put some mud on it. Just put a whole bunch of slat. Now you get back up there. Keep playing soccer. <laughs> Right. So take your medicine, okay? Come to the hospital, take your medicine. There's no shame in taking your medicine. Everybody's just like you. This is why we don't judge in the church, by the way. Um, because everybody's a sinner when they come into the church. Nobody comes into the church to look at them and say, Boy, I, am a, I know I'm a sinner, but oh, that guy, that Brian Owensale, and oh my word, he's a real sinner. I mean, I'm glad I'm just a little sinner. And it's not like... Like, in, if I hear confession, too, the next time I see you, I think, oh, boy, boy, I wish I didn't, oh, my goodness, wish I didn't know that. You know, or, or when you come into church, I look out, you know, the first thing I think, you know, when you see me sort of gaining my composure, getting ready to preach, thinking about what I'm going to say, and I do this whole thing. It's not like I'm sitting there going, well, here we go, going to preach uh, a bunch of deaf ears, a bunch of dumb sinners again. Boy, when are they going to learn, these people? No, not at all. It's not a place, you know, I got a boss that's going to judge. I don't need to do that. That's not my job. My job is to preach the gospel to you. My job is to administer Christ to you and to take care of you and to love you. And that's what I do. I love you. I take care of you. I want you to come and get your medicine. I want to help you. I'm like Jesus' nurse. I'm like Jesus' nurse. Hey, the doctor, <laughs> the doctor said he wants you to have this. Here, let me, let me help give you your medicine. Did this just come to you? Yeah, it did. I'm like Jesus' nurse. That's really good. I should write it down so I don't forget it. Yeah, so um, that's kind of what it is. It's all about medicine. It's medicine against sin. It's medicine against death. It's medicine against the devil. Hey, don't, don't forget. This is one reason why you say amen so boldly. Yes! Oh, I just got the medicine. You know, Ignatius, um, the church father, he calls it the, the, oh, the medicine of immortality. Oh, who cares about the fountain of youth? <laughs> who cares about that? Who cares about the cup Jesus used at the Last Supper? Who cares about the Holy Grail? Sorry, Indiana. <laughs> it's, it's null and void. Because you can just come here and I can give you something that's way better. That poor Templar knight, you know, he, he guarded that thing for so long. And it really didn't matter in the end. Because you could just come here and get the same thing, the medicine of immortality. Right? That's why you say, Amen. Now may this, the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you, both body and soul, in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. You say amen because you know what it is. Hey, now I'm a lion. Hey, run away, devil. Check me out. You know, you don't, the devil's not as powerful as he's given credit for. 
Part of why you think the devil is so powerful is because the devil works to make you think that he's so powerful. Hey, you watch nature documentaries? You know, there's a whole, there is a whole line of defense in prey animals. You know, the predators, they've got their, well, they run fast, or they have big claws, or they, like cats, oh, they've got swiveling wrists so they can grab you. They can jump high, they can see far, they have big sharp teeth, they can bite you. You know, all this stuff, those are predators, but then you've got your prey, and you've got ones like, oh, the armadillo, he's got armor, and he rolls up into a ball. Or you've got the porcupine who has his spikes, and nobody wants to mess with him. Or you've got uh, the bombardier beetle, that's kind of, you know, Bug-wise, it's sort of up my alley. The bombardier beetle it mixes two chemicals in a spray that causes, a, I think the temperatures come out at like 150 degrees, and it hits you, and it, it causes blisters, burn blisters when it hits you. It shoots these little jets of stuff at you. <laughs> causes a chemical reaction. So, you know, the, all these defenses. But then, you have the, uh, some of the neatest defenses in nature. And what are those? Well, they're the... <laughs> They're the, uh, the boasting defenses, the bluffs, right? So you've got the, um, the lizards that go and pop their neck out. Oh, wow, that's really big. Never mind, I don't want to mess with him. They make you think that it's bigger than, you really, than it really is. And, oh, well, yeah, I don't want to mess with that. No. Well, this is kind of like the devil. He's like one of those things. And then you look at him and you go, oh, wow, he's pretty powerful. Oh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to mess with him. And all behind that pomp and show, he's just some stupid skinny little lizard. Behind all of that. And then you go to the sacrament of the altar, you go to the Eucharist, you get a little bit of body, you get a little bit of blood, and you turn around and you walk back and the devil goes, Whoo, never mind, uh, they see my bluff, they've called me. And he runs away. And you say, Amen, because, of course, the one word the devil hates more than everything is Amen. Ooh, shoot, yeah, mm, this isn't the place for me to be. Okay? Be terrible to the devil. So, now here's the question. Who gets to have it? You. Pardon me? Everyone. Mm -hmm. See? Who gets to have the Eucharist? Well, if what is given at the font is nourished at the altar, what's the very first thing? We've sort of been talking about it already. Yeah, baptized. You have to be baptized first. That's why when, I, when, there, when there are people here... By the way, if you're ever visiting another Lutheran church, don't just go up to the altar and expect to be communed. This is common courtesy. If you are ever visiting another church, go find an elder or go find the pastor and tell them, Hello, my name is so-and-so. I am from such-and-such -such Lutheran church in Mound City, Missouri, and I would like, I'm visiting here. I would like to commune here. That's just common courtesy. Don't, don't surprise the pastor by coming up at the altar. The, the pastor knows his sheep, so I know who's supposed to be at my altar. And when there are people who I don't know who pop up at my altar and I don't know anything about them, it puts me in an awkward place because I'm still going to ask them questions and then I just have to do it right at the altar. And then everybody sees it happening and that's a little bit embarrassing. And then if they don't pass, you know, I can't give it to them and they're already there and then that gets really awkward. So just common courtesy. If you ever go to visit the church, talk to an elder or the pastor beforehand and let them know that you'd like to commune. Okay? So, uh, but one of the first questions that I always ask when I talk to people is, have you been baptized? Because that's the very first thing. And listen, I don't care if you're born and raised Missouri Synod Lutheran. I have actually turned away people that are born and raised Missouri Synod Lutheran. I don't care about your Synod membership card. Did you know those used to be a thing? Yeah, you'd get your little membership card and it was supposed to be this thing where you could go to any church and you could just say, 
I'm a synod member. Your I say, You're official. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got your creds. Hey, we're gonna make we're gonna make this catch on. Yeah, the fad started here. We'll have that. We'll, we'll note that. Okay. So you flash your creds, and they say, "Ooh, yeah, you're with us." But see, the issue is then you don't actually talk, and you don't. No, maybe you weren't baptized. Maybe you actually say that this isn't the body and the blood. Oh, I don't know. The only way that I actually know is not because you flashed me a membership card. I don't know if you're a delinquent member at that church. Maybe you have the card, but you haven't shown up there. Maybe you're under church discipline, and you're just trying to go to another church because you think the pastor won't know that you're under church discipline. That happens. People, like, uh, all that happens all the time. That people, well, I'm under church discipline here. Well, I don't have to take this. I'll just go to that church, because they'll commune me. That's all, why one of my questions is also, are you under church discipline? And most of the time, people go, oh, well, I don't know. You'd know if you were. <laughs> You'd know if you were. Okay? So uh, you have to be baptized. You have to be um, admitted to the hospital before you can get your medicine. Okay? And this is just kind of an aside. It's the church that tells you when you're in the church, and it's the church that tells you when you're out. You don't, it isn't your decision to become a member. Like, Jan, you want to be a member here. That's great. You want to commune at this altar. That's great. But just because you want to doesn't mean you go up and you get to. You see, it is the church. And look, I'm not saying me because I am not the dictator of this place. I am not the tyrant. I'm saying the church, capital C. The Holy Christian Catholic Apostolic Church. So the church tells you when you're in. The church tells you when you're out. Hey, next Saturday, you're in. But we take this stuff seriously. So church tells you when you're in, church tells you when you're out. There's a really great story that a pastor told, and I'm only telling it because it's fresh in my memory. He said um, a uh, parishioner of his had an affair, um, was sleeping with another woman, and then didn't divorce his wife but moved out and moved in with the woman that he was having an affair with. And um, it took a few months before stuff got to the pastor and he really understood fully what was going on. So the pastor took two elders and went to visit the guy at his girlfriend's house. And he knocked on the door and it was the woman who answered. And she said, um, she looked at him and then she yelled back and she said, Oh, um, uh, Carl, your old pastor is here. Old pastor. And he said, My old pastor? Well, what the heck's he doing here? I left that church months ago. I don't want to talk to him. Send him away. So the woman started to slam the door on the pastor and he put his foot in the door to stop the door from closing and he looked past the woman and he yelled into the house and he said, Carl, we tell you when you're in, we tell you when you're out. You're still my sheep. Now you get out here. And the guy came out. They reconciled with his wife. He left his girlfriend and he went back, lived with his wife. Isn't that a great story? But... The, the point is, we tell you when you're in, we tell you when you're out. If you, if you uh, do a huge big sin and then run away, guess what? Listen, I'm a pretty nice guy, but I am your father. You can call me father, by the way. You can call me pastor, you can call me father. I am your father. You're all my kids. I love you. But sometimes, you got to pull the pants down and give a big old spanking. <laughs> so every now and then, when something really bad happens, and the pastor comes to knock at your door, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, pastor is not afraid to give you the what for. Pastor is not afraid to put his foot in the door and yell, Hey, 
You don't get to make that decision. We tell you when you're in, we tell you when you're out. You don't get to move away from Missouri and then never join another church and think that just because you are away from Missouri, I am not going to call you to check in on you because you're still mine. I just might not see you, but you're still mine. And I care, okay? So, church tells you when you're in, church tells you when you're out. That's important. Faith, okay? What do you need to receive the Eucharist? Well, hey, you need uh, baptism and you need faith to receive the Eucharist. Let's look at this. Small catechism. Uh, what page is this on? 327. How are we doing on time? Oh, I was just about to tell you. We're at 1037. Ah, we're to like five of my bullet points. We haven't even made it to the second page. Look, this is why I love this class so much, because it's just so kind of... We just go. And it's great. You know, Bible class is kind of fun too, but that's a little more structured than this. 327, the sacrament of the altar. That's communion, that's the Eucharist. That's, um, so these are, these are all names. Right, okay, sacrament of the altar. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Huh. Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. Or as Luther says in the large catechism, they're good exer you know, children's exercises. You know, um, fasting and bodily preparation. So hey, if you want to fast, like starting the night before Sunday morning, and only take, take water and then don't eat breakfast on Sunday, if you want to do that, just to prepare that your first meal of the day be the one that the Lord feeds you, you're certainly welcome to do that. That's fine. That's certainly fine outward training. Uh, we're not going to tell you you have to. Um, you're you, if you want to, that's fine. Um, certainly fine outward training. But, but, fasting isn't the thing that makes you worthy. Fasting isn't the thing that says, well, you know, I'm not going to grill you at the altar. Say, hey, did you fast today? Say, no, no, I ate breakfast before church. Please forgive me. Well, you ate breakfast. Well, you don't get to receive this. <laughs> I mean, that's silly. I'm not going to do that. You can eat breakfast if you want. You can eat treats in the treats during Bible class. You want, you know, just don't take them into the sanctuary. I don't want to clean up treat crumbs and coffee cups. But or have you spill coffee? That's oh, that's the worst. If someone spills coffee, and then you got to clean all the coffee up. Yeah, I clean though, so I have to do it. Well, I don't know. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just kind of just talking here, okay? All right, so that's all fine outward training, but that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, well, so you need faith. But what is faith? We talked about this way back when we were talking about baptism. Tell, tell me what faith is not. Sin? Well, okay, you're right. Uh, faith is not sin. But that's not what I'm looking for. I'll give you the credit for having a right answer. It's just not the right right answer. Well, faith agrees. Okay, faith agrees. Yes. So faith does not reject. Okay, faith always agrees with what Jesus says. Yes, 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 yes. Um, it is not... How much you know. Mm. Your faith is not how smart you are. So the idea that we measure faith by midweek or by confirmation classes or that I measure your faith by sitting here in a room right now. Like I'm going to administer the final exam and if you get a 75% or above then I know you have faith but if you don't well then we you need to repeat faith class. You know, like, no, you're, it, you're learning about the faith is important and that's required for confirmation. 
But the knowing things is not required for the reception of the Eucharist. Um, it is faith that uh, the faith that receives. That's how that's how I can commune somebody who has Alzheimer's or dementia, doesn't know who I am, can't speak a coherent sentence, and I can't sit down and go, "What is this?" and have them go, "Oh, that's the body and blood of Jesus." What is the tenth commandment? Let's grill you right now. You know, I'm I can't you can't go through any kind of intellectual exercise with them. Uh, but I still commune them because it is an intellect that receives its faith. And faith and intellect are often united, but they're never the same thing. They overlap, but they're not the same thing. That's a really important distinction to make. And uh, we can look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, we'll start at verse 27. This is an often um, misused passage of Scripture. Do you need a Bible? Do you need Bibles? I mean, you're gonna, I guess you don't have to follow along with me, but I'd like for you at least to be able to see the text. 1 Corinthians, okay, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, starting at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord, and what is this bread? The body. Yeah, he's already, St. Paul has already said, is this bread which we break not the participation or koinonia, the fellowship, do we not, is it not the eating of the body of Christ? Yes. Is this cup which we bless not the koinonia, the, in the meal context, is this not the communion of the eating or drinking of the blood of Christ? Yes, of course it is. So, whoever eats this bread that is Christ's body or drinks this cup that is the blood of Christ, of the Lord, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But St. Paul, you say, how do I know what is an unworthy manner? Well, he says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine yourself. What does that mean, though? How do I examine myself? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What does it mean to discern the Lord's body? And blood. Let's not, I mean, let's not be singular here. What does it mean to, yeah, what does that mean to discern? Does your what? wonderful King James say discern as well? Which one is that? Which verse? Uh, 29. Yeah, dis yeah discerning. Okay, oh, yeah. Discerning. Discern. Reject. No, discerning, so discerning is kind of like <clears throat> understanding or like knowing, but it's a different kind. So, can you, here's the question. If I hold up a slice of Wonder Bread, can you tell the difference between a slice of Wonder Bread and Jesus' body? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So, it, so when I hold up the host and I say, the body of Christ. Amen. Yeah, and you say, Amen. What are you saying when you say, Amen? Yes. Yes, I this is the body of Christ. So you're discerning the body. You know that what I'm giving you right now is not something that you would make a PB&J out of. <laughs> well, it's not Wonder Bread. Yeah. I, don't, I don't go down to the thriftway and spend my evenings flattening and cutting little pieces of sandwich bread. Oh, I've got to get ready for communion. Hey, Carolyn, get the old wafer cutter out. <laughs> <No>? <laughs> she keeps it with the cookie cutters to keep it safe. <laughs> All right. 
it's just it's a different kind of bread. You know, everything's different. We use a different kind of wine. It's a wine that's only used for the sacrament. I have to go through a dealer to get it, and you have to be a church to get it because I don't want you drinking the same kind of wine um, at communion that you can get at the gas station for your Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. Pastor. Yes. Um, I have a question. Okay. Whenever, shoot. Whenever we take communion, yes. Why don't we dip the wafer into the common cup with? the blood of Jesus Christ. You could, if that's how you really wanted it. I would do that, and I have done it for people who didn't want to take from the common cup. If people, if, if there aren't individual cups, or for some reason, or you don't like the idea of the individual cups, or but you're still afraid to take from the chalice, I mean, first let me say the chalice is really the cleanest way to have it, uh, and is uh, kind of the best way to have it. But you're not no less of a Christian for taking it from the cups. So you can do you can do what you want. We offer both of them. But if for some reason you don't like either of those options, you're always welcome to have it. Putting it into the chalice and dipping it and then putting it in your mouth altogether is called intinction. So I will do that, and I have done it before. If that's something that somebody really really wants, like um, if someone is a, a recovering alcoholic, that's where we sort of get into. So they say, well, I can't have any alcohol, and then you say. Well, we commune in two kinds. Well, what's in that chalice? Then how do you answer? What's in the chalice? Is there alcohol in that chalice? Blood. You say, that's the blood of Christ. That's the blood of Christ. Well, but it's still wine, right? Well, I mean, yeah, kind of, in a way, yes, but it's it's blood. Okay, but I'm really uncomfortable with the wine. Okay, well, you still have to have it, but what I can do is I can dip it Mm. in just a little bit, and then then it's fine. Now, so that's one, one alternative. Now, some people will give out grape juice. Some churches will put grape juice in individual cups for people who are recovering alcoholics, and that's really bad. That's because that is, uh, you know, that's like the same as filling the entire chalice with grape juice. It's not the way that Jesus has said. And let's, okay, let's be real. I'm a student of history. One of my, my minor in college was in uh, classical classics, classical studies, took a whole lot of history. <laughs> there are not refrigerators in Jesus' time, biblical time, Israel. <laughs> and it, there is a time for grapes, and then the season for grapes ends. And when you have a lot of grapes that you have stored in big jars for later when there aren't any grapes that you have used to squish into juice that sit in the heat for months and months and months and months because there aren't refrigerators, what do you get? Wine. Wine. Jesus drank wine. Heck, you know. But anyway, I don't, we don't need to go there. So it's wine, it's wine, it's wine. Just use wine. Okay. So anyway, Heath, I would commune by intention. That's just not the normal way we do it. But I would do it, and I have done it. And if that's something that you really, 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 really can't live without, then for you, I would be special, and I would do it for you because you asked for it. Okay? But you don't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's faith. It isn't intellect. Discerning the Lord's body means that when I come to you and I say, this is the body of the Lord, you say, Amen, and that you know, hey, this really is Jesus. And then when I say, hey, this is the blood of Christ, and you say, Amen, 
then that means, hey, this really is the blood of Christ. I'm discerning the Lord's body and blood. I, I confess that this really is the body and blood of Christ. I can tell the difference between the blood of Christ and what I drink on Thanksgiving Day. I can tell the difference between uh, the body of Christ and a slice of sandwich bread that I make my lunch with for work. It's different. You can tell the difference and you know what's there. That is it. Faith that receives the Eucharist. Okay. Um, the real question is, when the pastor says, the body of Christ, do you say yes or do you say no? That's the question. And if you say yes, hey, you're on your way to discerning the body of Christ. Well done. See, he, I told you, this test, uh, the test for this class, the easiest thing in the world. Can you say yes? Well, it, you won't exactly say yes, but you'd say, oh, man. Ah, perfect. That's a brilliant answer, Heath. Because, yeah, 100%. Gold stars. I feel like Oprah today. Gold stars for all of you. This class has been so good. Yeah, you get a gold star. Uh, yeah, well, the donuts can be your gold stars. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, now, though, um, that also then means... If you're baptized and you have faith that recognizes Jesus in his body and his blood, and you can con you say, yes, that's Jesus. If you can say, amen, that's Jesus. Uh, uh, then, you can, uh, then you can have it. Now that would include who? Who, who among the congregation can, is baptized and can look at that and say, amen, that really is the body and blood of Jesus? All the people that are baptized? Okay, but how many people are baptized in this church? All. Yeah, including... Infants. Well, okay, infants, but an infant doesn't say amen to me. But the children do, which means that it is also for children. So let's look at this. One, two, three, four, five. We've got some things to look at here. One, two, three, four. Some things from history and some things from the Confessions, the Large Catechism. I keep saying someday we're going to do Sunday morning Bible class. We're just going to go through the Large Catechism because everyone knows the Small Catechism, but nobody knows the Large. And the Large Catechism is real. Nice. We all heard Confessions. Can we do that too? We can do anything you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't think that would be fun? I bet you I could make it fun. <laughs> I think it'd be wonderful. It can, you know, some, it, sometimes Luther's a real pain in the butt to read. I'm going to say that. Luther can be a real pain in the butt, and sometimes reading Luther isn't worth it because Luther can be kind of mean, and he spends more time telling you about the big nose and ugly features of his enemies instead of telling you about what they actually believe. And you're sitting there going, okay. Why don't you just get to the point? What does he believe? Are you against what he believes? I don't need all the... I don't need the... They're setting up for a baby show. Yeah, I just... I don't need all this. Sometimes he can be kind of hard to read. But the large catechism is real good. Let's look at this. A couple passages. First, from uh, paragraphs 33 to 36. Now, we must also consider who the person is who receives such power and benefit. That is, the sacrament. Oh. Uh, Briefly, as we said above about baptism and in many other places, the answer is, it is the one who believes that the words say, uh, believes what the words say and what they give. Okay, 
you believe what the words say? Yes, that Jesus says, this is my body. Yes, do you believe that this really is the body? Yes, where is Jesus to be found? Right there, He's, you're holding Jesus in your hand. That very, whatever you're holding in your hand, that's the same thing that was crucified, and that's the same thing I want, okay? Ooh, there we go. All those who let these words be addressed to them and believe that they are true have what the words declare. Now, this is the sum total of a Christian's preparation to receive this sacrament worthily. Wait, you mean we don't have to go through confirmation classes to receive the sacrament worthily? All we have to do is be baptized and then be able to say, yes, I know that this is... All I have to do is know that the body of Christ is different than Wonder Bread? Yes. Uh, I'd like to come to get a class and Sam just doing that. Well, uh, old, well, old and New Testament catechesis are important for confirmation, Heath. And to be honest with you, you should at least take one of those two classes before you come to the catechumenate, because there's a lot of stuff, I know, that in those classes lays the foundation for everything that we talk about in this class. Like, in those classes, you learn the words of the catechism, but in this class, I tell you what the words mean and how it all applies. There is method to the madness. <laughs> and madness, it often is. Okay, that's the sum total. Now, here's another part, 87. Because they, that is, he's talking about children, have been baptized and received into the people of Christ, they should also enjoy this fellowship of the sacrament so that they may serve us and be useful. Wait, you mean that kids who are baptized and who know that Jesus isn't Wonder Bread and who want Jesus and who believe he's there should receive the sacrament? <gasps> they should. Bugenhagen, now this is from a different book, Bugenhagen was Luther's pastor in his introduction to a book, combines the examination of children and other communicants in that he declares the words of Luther's small catechism to be the confession upon which the child of eight years and the centenarian alike are admitted to communion. So the, the, the little kid and the person who is old, hey, can you tell me that this really is the body and blood? Do you know the words of institution? Do you know what this is going to give you? Is this something that's good for you? Do you want this thing? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, there we go. There's the benchmark for the child and for the, the person 100 years old. The children in 16th century Denmark were often admitted to the communion when they were only six to seven years of age. And of Sweden, Oscar Quenzel says, it seems that even eight or nine-year-olds were among the communicants as late as the 1570s. And Luther himself communed children six to seven years old. So there's his... There's historic practice there. Hey, when are you going to commune? Well, you know, I know uh, second and third graders who commune that have a better understanding of the faith than most people who are adults. <laughs> kids, are your, kids are your greatest teachers, not me. I, I am not your greatest teacher, but you Well, maybe not you. Yeah. <laughs> kids who aren't Heath Beerman are your greatest yes, teachers. I agree with that one. Um, right, so... Now, that means we have to practice something called closed communion. I'm just going to hand this to you, and I'm briefly going to explain it, because we're all out of time. How are we over time already? But, hey, it's our last time. Oh, it's only 10? Oh, we got five whole minutes. Wow, Jesus. <laughs> let's, let's shift down in here. <laughs> here. Here you go. So you can just keep this. You just you even read it on your own. But basically, this is a little excerpt from an article. And... Uh, it says they dug up an old church um, from the first century, and it turns out there was an extra room off the side of the church, and that was a room that was used for communion. So they would get communion ready, and then everyone who was not baptized and who was not receiving the sacrament would be not admitted to that room. They had to stay out. 
So we'll, everyone who's going to come to receive can receive, but everyone else has to stay out. And one of the things they would do is they would, part of the liturgy was the deacon would call, the doors, the doors! And then they would slam the doors so you couldn't even see what was happening because it's a mystery, right? You don't get to see what the mystery is until you're in. You don't get to be in until you're in. You don't, you don't get to come in until you're baptized. So um, we could do that if we wanted to by me interrupting the service and saying, the doors, the doors, and then having all the elders go and kick everybody who can't commune out of the church and then closing the doors so they just have to sit on the benches for the rest of the service. But we don't do that. You can be around and you can come up to receive a blessing if you're not communing. But nevertheless, that's the way the early church handled it because this thing is a really important thing. Um, the Eucharist is, is it's, um, it's life. If, if it is received in faith. Do you not believing in it, does you, excuse me, does you saying no to Jesus change what Jesus is giving? Is it only the body and blood of Christ if you believe that it is? No, you're right. It isn't. It is the body and blood regardless. When I hold it up and I say, the peace of the Lord be with you always, and you say, Amen, that's me saying, this is the body and blood of Jesus. And you say, Amen. Because I'm I am not asking for your opinion. I am telling you what it is. So it is the body and the blood, and it is received for life when it is received by faith, when it's Jesus says, hey, this is me for you, and you say, yes, 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 please, let me have some. And he says, of course, my dear child, I'll never give you a stone when you ask for bread. But then when he comes and he says, hey, this is me for you, and you say, no, it's a symbol. No, I don't believe it is. And then you eat it. You are having faith that does not discern the body, and then it is poison. And this is why the pastor has to be the steward, because I'm in charge of these mysteries. It's going to be the body and the blood no matter what you think about it. But if you say no to it, it isn't something that's going to help you. It's something that's going to hurt you. It's poison. So me giving communion to somebody who says, oh, it's just a symbol, uh, is the same as me letting my toddler go under the kitchen cabinet and drink Bleach. No, actually it isn't. It would be the same as me pouring a cup of bleach and saying, here, come drink this, it's good for you. I would never do that, because it's bad for you. See, it's not that I'm trying to keep people away from the altar, it's because I don't want to kill people. I'm supposed to give life here, I don't want to give death. So when your Baptist grandmother comes and she says, well, I really want to take communion here, I have to say, I'm afraid I can't do that, because you seem like a really nice lady and I really don't want to kill you. Okay? So, um, Part of it, too, is the union of the altar. So maybe your individual confession is, oh, yeah, I believe all of this stuff. But if you're going, like, if you come from a church, like the Reformed Church, and the church says, no, it's only a symbol, but then you come to this church and say, well, I believe it's more than a symbol, um, and, uh, and I'd like to commune, I would say, well, I'm really glad that you believe it. That's what Jesus says. You're, you're trusting in the words of Jesus. But... Your church body, the church body where you are united, says it isn't. And it, it's not the individual confession that matters, it's the church confession that matters. So if you are communing at a church that says it isn't, then no matter what your personal opinion is, you believe it isn't. So that's another issue. So some of these people that are otherwise very nice people, they're united at the altar. And I have turned away people who were born and raised Lutherans who wanted to come commune here because they moved away and went to a different church, got married and went to the, I don't know, 
Thought married and started going to something like the Baptist church. Well, my wife was Baptist, and so I, I go to the Baptist church with her. Well, do you take communion when they have it? Well, yeah, I do, but I still believe it's the body and blood. Well, if you take communion there, I can't give it to you here. St. James says, don't be duplicitous. I can't let you have two faces. Your confession is the confession of the altar where you eat and drink. And so I can't kill you here. I won't kill you here. See, so just like excommunication, remember I told you excommunication. Yes, it's church discipline. It's the most extreme church discipline, but it's also love. Uh, uh, it's, it's, the most, it's the last ditch effort of love to say, listen, you need to recognize your sins. You can't be a part of this body if you, if you are here like this. And it breaks my heart. That's what it's about, uh, this idea of church discipline is pastoral care. It's love. Closed communion is the same thing. It's actually love. The reason I don't want you to come to my altar is not because I think we're better than you. It's because I don't want to kill you. I love you so much I don't want to kill you. And, you know, everything takes on a whole new perspective when you look at it like that. This is the quote that we have on our website. Um, and it's from Justin Martyr, a layperson of the church. This food is called among us Eucharistia. The Eucharist? Hey, where do we call it? Why do we call it Eucharist? Because that's what they call it. Of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true, who has been washed with the washing that is for the remission of sins. What's that? The washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration. Baptism. Baptism, yeah. One who's been baptized and confesses this is the true body and blood. And who is so living as Christ has enjoined. See, so now you can come to the church, you can believe that it's the body and blood and you can be baptized. But if you're also doing, if you're living in a big, bad, big, bad public sin and you don't care about it, then I also can't give it to you because then it's poison for you too. That's why typically we wouldn't come in someone who is cohabiting. Not because they're bad, uh, bad people and I hate them, but because I love them. And if you are receiving the that with an attitude that says, well, I know I'm living in sin, but I'm just going to keep on doing it and I don't care about it. That's a what kind of sin? What would we call that? Well, yeah, mortal. The mortal sin is the sin where you go, well, I, I am committing this sin and I know it's probably a sin, but I'm just going to keep on doing it anyway and I don't care. And then you come to the church and you want the church to give you all of the good things that are there for all of the repentant sinners, but you're not a repentant sinner. Then it's poison for you because that's the same as saying no thanks to Jesus. Because you say, well, Jesus, I'm going to take care of my own sins, but why don't you give me that body and blood of yours? And he said, but this is to take away your sins. Well, I'm going to take care of my own sins. And then, well, there's your cup of bleach. Okay, so that's really important. Um, what does the Eucharist do? Quickly, it's an atom bomb. Okay, it's going to forgive your sins. Every time I put that host in your mouth, it's like a bomb that comes in. <laughs> blasting them all away. It's going to fill you with Jesus. This is the most important thing I want you to think about the Eucharist. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Jesus is going to come and put a little bit of himself inside you. He's going to transform you. He's going to make you more like him. Hey, come and get it. Jesus is going to make you more like him. You are what you eat. It doesn't, you don't digest it. It digests you. It consumes you. It makes you to be like Jesus. It teaches you how to love. It strengthens the bond of the community. This communal, this communion. You come to the altar. C.S. Lewis says, I go to the Eucharist so that I can learn to love the people that I hate. <laughs> That's the truth. You come, you come to learn to, to love the people that you hate because everybody there is filled with Christ and then you are filled with Christ and you look out and you say, well, I'm filled with Jesus and I love Jesus and that means I love the people that Jesus loves and I see you and I say, hey, Jesus loves you and I love Jesus and that means I love you too. I, I'm along for the ride on this one and so are you because Jesus loves everybody and that's where he's going to fill us up with that, transform, okay? He's going to give you life, all right? Does this make sense? You understand it? Yes. To the best of your ability, it's still kind of a mystery. Right? All right, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 